0: Hey everybody, this week we're gonna to talk to Ashley about her really cool job. She is an ecologist working with uh, I think farmers, ranchers and other agricultural people about um, how to do things a little, uh, make plans I'll say for their environmental impact. And um, I wanna hear more about what exactly she does and what she thinks we could do in the vineyard and maybe in general, as homeowners, neighborhoods, farmers, ranchers, whatever. to People of the world. Yeah, to be good to our ecological niches. And obviously this conversation with Ashley is like a whole cake and she gets to have it and eat it too because it's not just about creating a plan with a specific person. It's about like if she could have it all and every farmer could be doing these couple things to be good to their salamanders have (laughs) what would that look like it's not necessarily a plan for a specific area
1: i I mean it's adaptive management everything's a little different that's
0: our world (laughs) so with that in mind what what can you tell us what you do i'm Haley. this is ashley we are whole cluster conversation So I work a
1: lot with, I like to say, residents. Um, And so it is a lot of farmers. Uh, I have, I think I'm going to step back even further before, like, what I really do. Um, I have my background in biology, wildlife biology, restoration ecology, and, like, I've done a lot with native plants. So all of that just leads to where um, I like to wear several hats and Oftentimes when I'm talking to you, Haley, I'm putting on my ecologist hat. I do have a master's (laughs) in ecology, so I guess I can wear that hat pretty well. Yeah, so I end up for, you know, my job, my fun, my hobbies. I like to chat with people about different ecological restoration practices that they can do on their land or if, you know, they're a renter or whatever, just things that they can be thinking about because, you know, we're all impacting our air, water, and soil, no matter uh, what, you,
0: what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So when somebody comes to you, is it usually for a specific, is it just in general or is it about specific things and making their plans? Is it about soil? Is it about uh, the wildlife, like corridors or is it just everything? I, I wear, because
1: I wear a lot of different hats. So I will say, like, I also do consulting stuff too. Um, and so typically my, I like to say my niches, my areas of expertise where I feel most comfortable are issues around riparian areas, which are the areas next to streams, rivers, creeks and wetlands and wildlife biology because I did my master's project and I have written a couple of papers about I did my master's project on turtles and then I've written a number of scientific papers on amphibians and then I've also done some fish work and worked with nurseries and plants so those are kind of my areas of expertise and then through some of my work I have worked a lot with ranchers, farmers, as well as urban. My background actually was really in urban ecology. So it just, it gives me a good way to approach lots of different issues and problems and creating solutions for people and whatever practices that they're doing and trying to mesh that with um, protecting our environment and just our area for everyone else. So yeah.
0: Because we all live in a watershed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so if we were to look, let's uh, start really big and then we'll drive down into like kind of house neighborhood level. Um, okay. So if, what are like the maybe one, two, maybe three, if they're quick uh, things that you wish all ranchers or farmers, people that have lots of land and they're maybe managing or using a lot of that land, what are a couple things that you wish... Uh, as an ecologist, you could see happening to promote some of those local ecological niches.
1: Yeah, I think, so where I fit, and there's a lot of different ways to look at it. There's a couple of different philosophers and nature writers. You probably have heard of people like Henry Thoreau Ther- and um, Gifford Pinchot uh, started our um, the forest service and then like um, John Muir. And there's different approaches to like ecology and land management with all of that and none of them are wrong they're all just like a different approach and so I tend to come from it a little bit John Muirish, but also understanding Gifford Pinchot and so what that means is John Muir is very much like preserve wild lands and don't do anything to it and I see a value in that but I also realize that we're all human. and we have our things that we need to do so like as a rancher as a farmer like you are you have goals of producing things maybe cattle maybe as a vineyard you know you are trying to grow your vines and produce grapes and so I come at it as like let's think about how we can preserve things and how we can help our amphibian friends, our turtle friends, mm-hmm. our, our pollinators, our wildlife, but at the same time still allow people to do what they want to do. And so having that philosophy, I think, allows for me to play that game of flexibility with like saying, OK, let's make sure your goals and objectives are met. But at the same time, like, let's think of creative ways that we can also introduce a habitat for wildlife because that's okay. like my real big passion and so a lot of my questions and thesis have been around looking at how we can restore areas for wildlife in mind while still allowing like people to do what we need to do okay <laughs> so um, I know that's not really answering the question but it's getting at that like idea of just overall trying to think of creative ways to support wildlife and soil habitat and air quality within your practices
0: so if we were to go like a step further and look at neighborhoods or even you know your home uh is there ways that we can promote some of that in our in our own yards yeah for
1: sure, and that's a lot of what I talk to about people and with people. Again, it's going to be kind of the same sort of big picture stuff, but I think it's good to remember that we all are part of a watershed community, and a watershed is just a point of where all water goes to. I think we see a little bit more of that, you would say, on the on the west side of uh, Oregon, Washington, even maybe down <laughs> to California. Let's just keep going, British Columbia. Um So because we have a lot more rain, but you still have watersheds. You think of like the Snake River Valley and like where all of your water goes to. And so thinking about those practices at the home level are still important, even though you don't have as large a land as, say, the farmers. um, You can still uh, make choices and impact the environment better. And that can just with a lot of people like homeowners on my side, or even just, I'll say residents because not everyone owns their homes, they're renters and stuff. But, um, you know, thinking about water conservation, thinking about stormwater, thinking about if you put pollutants in the environment, in the air or the water or your soil, like that's gonna impact everybody within that watershed. And so, you know, I talk to people about creating stormwater swales or creating backyard habitat or creating, um, you know, reducing pesticide and reducing um, household chemical waste and stuff is a lot of like more of the urban stuff. Um, there's also a lot that I talked to about like creating corridors because we kind of all are you Know, have our little blocks of land, but um, if we can think about like a continuous area and how we can, you know, like in England, create little holes for the hedgehogs to move back and forth between our gardens, <laughs> then I think that's that's a, a, a fun way to look at it. So,
0: yeah, cool. Um, well, I know vineyards are a little bit different they uh being a crop obviously we want them to produce well but they also leave a lot of room in the entire property to have other stuff growing or water conservation maybe other things like that it's similar to maybe a uh orchard so if i wanted to still obviously get a crop of yeah of wine grapes um but what What are like the things that I should be doing if I also want to, um, be part of that like wildlife corridor, we're close to BLM land. So it'd be great to be able to like leave stuff that the wildlife can definitely use as a corridor and promote pollinators and you know, what all that stuff, we would love to be a positive force in the ecological niche.
1: Yeah. So I would just think about your, your soil impact, your water impact, your air impact, um, how you as people, <laughs> and yeah, and and then the animals, the pollinators, the other things. So I mean, really, it's the soil, water, air. It seems like you know that's gonna be your big areas. And so with the soil, thinking about what you're putting into it, um, and building it up because you want to create. You know, you want to leave. You don't want to just strip the soil of all the nutrients so that you know, you don't, you aren't able to farm on it anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's something within uh, your, you know, you're obviously, when you go out there, you're picking someplace that has a good soil type for a vineyard to start out with, hopefully. (laughs) Um, And then you, through your processes, might have to modify some things. And so, and you want to help build up good soil quality. So a lot of the people I work with, I've been really impressed with, like, the amount of weeds and different things uh this is more like crops but um yeah because they're able to really think about their soil quality and how that impacts then the vegetation that grows there soil mm-hmm. really it's it re- it remembers those things I mean I'm just kind of making this up right now but like <laughs> one of the things that I did prairie restoration for a while those soils are just like really rocky really drain. Well, um, a lot of areas actually get converted to vineyards, um, like the hillside areas. Um, but one of the things that was really impactful there is that we had certain invasive species that are legumes that really impacted the soil. And we were seeing the vegetational communities years after they had been removed, still like what plants established where were impacted by that because again, it just had changed enough of the soil chemistry. And so that's going to be as a vineyardist is that the correct word? (laughs) Um, uh, Really something that you're going to be queuing into because it's going to impact like your, the flavor of your grapes and the terroir and like also your ability for grapes to grow in certain areas. And then from there, you have your water. And so, thinking about one of the things Haley and I have talked a lot about with her vineyard, being in a, such an arid, dry environment, is the importance of like drip irrigation. You don't want to be putting water that's not being used. Um, you don't want like standing water down at the bottom in big, muddy messes. Um, and so, thinking about how to Use the type of water you can uh, or the amount and not the type, but the amount of water and not overuse it. And there's some really cool tools to that, you know, monitor your soil, moisture content, and you can look at that. You can even do things like fly drones over and see how the vegetative quality of your vineyards are doing. And so that's going to help you as well as in turn be good for the environment and good for the perpetuity of your farm
0: yeah I had a moment in the last uh six months that things started to click so we talk a lot about cover crops in the vineyard community because you're growing these vines and they only take up like out of four square feet like two inches yeah and and then the rest of it is just hopefully not bare soil so hopefully you're growing something on it so that you're not having to spray for weeds or manage weeds or um And a lot of people, plants cover crops, whether they're harvesting them or not, they're using them to um, manage the other stuff that grows. And then I was listening into a seminar where they were talking about the use of native plants. And there's, I had never thought about use, like you don't have to plant something that you're gonna mow or gonna do this or that. You can plant native plants just so they're not, um, you're creating that kind of ecological corridor everywhere on the property almost. Um, but you also, uh, are still growing your grapes and hopefully, um, they're thriving and pushing out the bad stuff because they're supposed to be there in the first place. I mean, the, the, um, native plants as cover crops.
1: Well, and you're also thinking about, okay, choosing good native plants that still allow like breathability. You don't want to obviously be planting trees in between your vineyard. (laughs) uh, You still want to, again, provide the goals and objectives for you, but still be helping like with soil. And one of the things I know that we've talked about is the mycorrhizae Mm -hmm. and how there can be some real big benefits for native plants for pollinators, but also, like, the mycorrhizae community, and then mm-hmm. that can help your vines,
0: too. Yeah, the my, yeah building that mycelial network, too, and making sure all the plants are kind of working together. For sure, for sure. Um, in terms of pollinators, do you want to give a quick rundown? I guess it could be in any, any place on um, your theories on, like... Uh, what did you call them when we were talking earlier? The, um... Soil, water, air? No. <laughs> I mean, when we were talking about pollinators a while ago, um, the different types of stuff you should plant in order to really help pollinators. So first I'm going to say, no matter where you are,
1: look up the Xertse's Society. That's X-E-R-C-E-S. Um, they are the... Uh, conservation oh my word the invertebrate conservation society of the world that's not
0: correct (laughs) i'm having a we'll put it in the show notes though
1: (laughs) yeah we'll put that in the show notes but the zertzi society they're um an international organization um based out of portland but they have you know places all over and they have really amazing guides that they put out for different regions different states um and you can find all of that on their website and as a professional i use it all the time i they have a really amazing book um, attracting native pollinators protecting north american bees and butterflies um and it is like the go-to guide and i love it because each of these different sections of it break out by like if you're a farm if you are a resident, if you like cover crops um, and orchards. And so they have just like so many resources in this book. Um, And a lot of that same stuff is online. So I would just say that is like the best guide. I think a lot of people think about bees, which are, you know, Eurasian or like honeybees, sorry, which are Eurasian species, but they really talk about a lot of our native butterflies and um, wasps. bees Mm -hmm. and other things because there's lots of pollinators as well as other beneficial insects that will actually like eat those pests in your crops um so that's my like go-to but um there's nothing else about pollinators just remember to plant a diversity of things that bloom over all seasons like think spring through fall um not just everything coming out there and then also, I like to say have texture, so That's not what just I like have the texture, yeah. <laughs> so oh, color and texture. So have a variety of color, a co- variety of bloom time, and texture, which is um, thinking about having like little flowering plants, like little herbaceous things, as well as like woody um, other plants and like different heights. And uh, yeah, that cool. is that is the best thing because then you have a different, you have a diversity of pollinators. And, you know, as we know with a lot of farmers, going back to like kind of that traditional stuff of, you know, more diversity of crop means that you kind of have a different amount of insects and different things
0: that are impacting your crops. So Yeah. Are there any other takeaways that you want to make sure people have in terms of building that ecological niche in their specific area?
1: I think the biggest thing is that if you are working, you know, you have everybody can create habitat, whether you are a large scale farmer to a small backyard habitat or even an apartment. Like you could put little pots out that, you know, well, maybe on your windowsill or something. Yeah. Um, but you can also be thinking about your impact when you are at a park and when you're out in the environment and just how like things like you, where you walking your dog, picking up your dog poop, like those types of things is all like important. And then, you know, up to like being a large scale farmer and thinking about those areas of your property where you know, maybe you have animals. So how are you dealing with their waste and then, or compost or whatever, where are you putting those things and where are there opportunities to improve the environment, which is going to help again, like build your good soil quality, build, um, wildlife habitat, which is going to make it more attractive for people to come and visit your farm too, maybe yeah. especially vineyards. Like so many mm-hmm. people love going out to vineyards and when you have like this amazing wildflowers or you have some like cool like a raptor perch or some features for wildlife and you can talk about that. I think it's just makes people a little bit more excited about your place because it's a little bit has unique factors and we yeah. all have you know, little microclimates of, of our place that really is impactful, but we also, like I mentioned at the top, are all part of a watershed, so. We
0: have, um, at, like, I'll t- say two things. One about the vineyard. We, this last year, have started letting some, uh, we've mowed every other row to try to promote some of the local plants um, and making sure that they can be flowering longer and things like that. And at first we thought, oh, it's gonna look really untidy and we're not gonna like it, but actually it adds a lot of visual interest. So even if it is slightly untidy, the visual interest that it adds outweighs the untidiness. Um, And people are so interested in learning about what that plant is and why it's flowering. And um, if we planted it or if it would just showed up, things like that, that for us, it's been more of a way to connect with more people. Um, And then at home, we've tried to let some of, uh, I'm not very good at this, but let parts of our yard kind of go wild. (laughs) And we're in a residential area, so a lot of the stuff isn't necessarily native or things like that. But we do have native populations of quail and other animals that we've seen a much just in the last year from letting that stuff go wild, we've seen a lot more of those populations in our yard than we have in the past because there's places for them to um, hide probably more so than than eat or anything like that. How do you feel about that? Like re- letting parts of your yard grow wild, even if you're not doing it with native species?
1: Yeah, that's. Um, I think it's a great thing to do There's, uh, and this was something that I really discovered when doing my master's work with turtles is something which some ecologists will disagree with me, but that's okay. (laughs) Um, And I'm not downplaying native plants by any means because there is definitely a lot of research out there that shows how, especially like bird populations and insect populations, how important native plants are because Mm -hmm. they bring in like, Very specific pollinators and very specific, so then like bugs, insects that then like birds are then attracted to. But like with my turtle research, there is definitely an element to function. And for some species, they don't really care what the plant is as long as it's functioning (laughs) in a way. Um, And that's where you get, or like the habitat. So that's where things like bat boxes are really popular or rafter perches because what a bat box is emulating is those trees. Like you think of your big conifer trees that get little splits or like Mm -hmm. the bark kind of like splits off the tree. And that's what the, or like cavities that the, bats are using. And so when you create a bat box, that's essentially what you're doing is that same function. And so as long as you're like following pretty specific things and not making it like too big of an area, the bats are going to use that the same. Still, trees are great and like <laughs> have those, but like that's that's what we're doing. And like a yeah. raptor perch is again, just thinking of like a snag or something or like a big high tree, Um, in the environment and you're just creating an artificial one of those. So, right. So that's the same, like with rewilding, you're just creating that like function of kind of brushy area that, that animals can move through and Mm -hmm. not be fearful of predators attacking from the sky. (sighs) On that note, I hate birds. I hate how they attack from the sky. (laughs) 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 They're lovely to look at from afar.
0: (laughs) Um are there other like resources that you think people should know about in terms of of where to look locally maybe if there? Yeah.
1: I think everybody everyone has so I'll start at like your home level or I mean really for all uh you everybody's part of a watershed. We all have watershed councils um or a lot of, there's a, typically a lot of watershed councils or like nonprofit groups in the area that provide like education to everyone from homeowner's to maybe large farmers. Um, there's also um, soil and water conservation districts or conservation districts um, throughout the United States. And those are really cool thing, organizations that came out of the Dust Bowl to really help agricultural landowners. But, you know, they've also, they, move a lot because they realize, again, that we all are part of um, solutions for um, better soil, water, air, that kind of stuff. Um, And then uh, we also there's a couple of really cool national partners like the NRCS, National Resource Conservation Service. Um, I always forget. And and, and, uh, like, You know, there's also your local parks and cities and um, other and really cool nonprofits all over that um, can provide really good resources. In this age of Zoom, it's been awesome because we're able to collaborate more and share like you can watch a webinar or whatever for someplace else. Um, And yeah, and I know you and I, Haley, have been on a couple where we've gone to the same one to learn about information. Most of them have
0: been out of your area, kind of the Willamette slash uh, uh, Multnomah.
1: Okay. I think it was a resource, a research extension. So a lot of the universities, Master Gardener programs Mm -hmm. um, are amazing resources for um, asking those questions. I know I ask those questions like, because I have four fruit trees. So (laughs) I always... Um, hit up our local uh, resource extension service, um, OSU, Oregon State University, for for good information on that. And so I think we all have our niches, you know, you being a a winemaker, vineyard culturist, whatever. (laughs) Uh, And so, you know, you know your areas. And so And then I know some ecology stuff, but I don't know everything. And so that's where I think it's really awesome because you can reach out to different types of organizations and and get really good resources there.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for explaining all that, though. And um, yeah, giving us lots of ideas and maybe some goals to look towards, set and then look towards and work towards.
1: Yeah, and I know that I talk pretty high level, and I think that's going to be the fun of this podcast is that we'll have some episodes that really dive into some of these topics in more detail. But, yeah. With that, you can take it away and talk about what we're going to be doing next week. Okay, so next week, join us to talk about suckering. I think that's how I say it, Haley. Suckering. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm going to be asking Haley what that means. I don't know what it means. How to do it. Where to go. How. Why. (laughs) Thanks again for joining us for another episode of Whole Cluster Conversation.
0: Music provided by Michael Johnson of Grand Falconer.
1: Audio production provided by our friend Ukiah
0: Bogle. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you like to listen. Ciao.